Hey everyone, welcome to today's special youth service. And as we start, what I want you to do is to grab your Bible, get your notebook and type in the chat below what you've been watching lately. It can be a movie, a TV show, a Korean drama, and even if you've been wasting hours and hours of your time on TikTok and YouTube, write that down as well. But as you write that in the chat, do you want to know what I've been watching? Well, it's too bad because it's a recording, so I'm going to tell you anyway. But recently in these lockdowns, I've rewatched Harry Potter. And I was never allowed to watch these growing up. And that's probably a vibe for some of you as well, but I love it. And something that I'm realizing, though, as I've been watching Harry Potter again, is that it's actually really deep. Like, it's not hard to entertain me. I have ADHD, so give me mindless humor and I'll be happy. But Harry Potter, it's so deep. And something crazy I realized as I was watching it was that it gets right what other movies don't, specifically the meaning of love. Like in Frozen, Anna can only be saved if she gets true love's first kiss. Like, what does that even mean? And even, you know, the whole idea of falling in love, if you think about it, it shouldn't really make sense. It's as if it's something that just happens to you outside of your control or it's something that just comes and goes. But in Harry Potter, there is this moment in the story that sets the course of the entire storyline. So when the villain Voldemort tries to kill Harry Potter, but his mom, she jumps into the crossfire of the spell, sacrificially giving her life in order to save her son. And for some reason though, it all backfires on the villain and it doesn't really make sense how it happens and why it happens. But what's profound though, is that J.K. Rowling, the author of this story, uses that moment, that specific moment, to encapsulate the meaning of love. And again and again, the characters in the movie talk about how love is a kind of power, more powerful than any other kind of magic, so powerful that it doesn't even make sense. Today's message is about how love doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. And it doesn't make sense why people do it, and it doesn't make sense why, like how people's lives can be so radically changed by love. Today, we're reading from 1 Corinthians 10. And 1 Corinthians, it's a book about love. It's a letter from Paul to a community of Christians in Corinth who are very confused about what the point of life is. Some people thought life was about becoming an amazing leader or, or being um, seen for who you are. Some people thought life was about trying to get things right and they would always argue about who was right and who was wrong. They'd join sides and gang up on each other. But what's crazy though is what Paul does to address all of these problems in the church. He doesn't just stop them from doing what they're doing, but instead what happens over and over again is that he says, hey, like what you're doing is good, but you kind of missed the mark. Like, don't stop what you're doing, but you've kind of forgotten what's most important. Your problem is not necessarily what you do, but how you do it. And Paul calls the church in this to keep the main thing, the main thing. And that main thing is love. As I speak, please feel free to comment in the chat. Amens if you agree. Bell emojis if you think I'm preaching heresy. Honestly, I don't even care as long as you're leaning in. I believe God's going to speak to you today. That's what happens every single time, you know, when we open up his word. God knows what you are feeling and he knows what you're thinking and he knows exactly what you are going through right now, even if you don't understand what's going on. He knows. 
He wants to speak specifically to where you are at right now. And all you need to do is say, God, I know you love me, so please help me today. Amen. Easy as that. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians 10, and we're going to see an example of how he calls people back to love. We'll be reading from verses 22 to 23. Verse 23. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it, both for the sake of the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. I'm referring to the other person's conscience, not yours. For why is my freedom being judged by another conscience? If I take part in the meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something I thank God for? So whether you eat and whether you drink or whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greek, or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in, in every way. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they might be saved. This is a pretty complicated passage when you first read it. There's so many ideas going on and there's a lot of words we use so often in the church to the point where it kind of loses its meaning. And in this passage, there's ideas of freedom, talks about conscience, like what even is that? And if you look in the footnotes, there's a reference to Psalm 24. It talks about um, sacrifices, God's glory, and there's also this idea of causing someone to stumble. But as you start sorting out these ideas and you start looking at the flow of the passage, you realize that there are three things going on. And I've put my own labels to these three things. You might um, sort it out differently on your end, but this is what I've got. Number one, uh, verses 23 to 24, I've got free to love. Number two, verses 25 to 30, to love and not to stumble. And number three, verses 31 to 30, free to show God's love. Let's first start with this our first section. In verse 23 to 24, Paul starts off by telling us that we have the freedom to do anything that we want. Yeah, I know that's kind of confusing because it's obvious that we can't do anything we want, right? But it's good to understand how Paul speaks. He's a very passionate person. And what he's trying to communicate, though, is this feeling of what it's like to be free. You know, when you have friends over and you tell them, hey, do anything you want. However, when you tell them to make themselves at home, it's not literal, is it? What Paul encapsulates in just one sentence, though, is what it's like to no longer be a slave, forced to live a way you're not supposed to. We're free to do whatever we want. And that is so true. But we're free for a reason. Do you know what freedom means? Freedom is the ability to live how we were supposed to live. Sometimes we don't think freedom that way, think of freedom that way. But let me ask you, why are lockdowns so hard? No matter how you feel about lockdowns politically, I just want you to reflect on your experiences and what it's like to be stuck at home for the past, past few months. Even for me as an introvert, like I'm dying right now. 
And chances are, though, lockdowns hasn't been just um, hard because you, ha- you, you weren't able to do whatever you want. But on a deeper level, lockdowns have been hard because the life we are living right now, day in and day out, is not how we were meant to live. We're experiencing a reality that is not supposed to be. So the question then is, how are we supposed to live? Well, Paul highlights one key thing, and he says no one should or supposed to seek their own good, but the good of others. So what's he saying? You shouldn't be making life all about yourself. What you're supposed to do is to love people. Let me define love for us. Love is a selfless concern expressed through action for the good of someone else. Of course, there are many aspects to this as well. Some say love is a feeling, and yeah, I believe it. Like love, like real love should be really emotional because there's this real selfless concern for someone else. Love cares. And that's why some people say that the opposite of love isn't hate, but rather not caring at all. But not only does love care, it's an action. So when you love, there's a decision involved, a decision to act, and there's a decision to be intentional. And all of this is done for the good of someone else. So when all that happens, something is given up on our end to see someone else built up. Love is a selfless concern expressed through action for the good of someone else. Make sense? Make sense? Cool. I want to ask you this though. What comes to mind when you hear the words eternal life? Most likely you're thinking a quantity of life, right? Being able to live on and going to heaven. What we need to understand though is when Jesus talks about eternal life in the Bible, people weren't thinking quantity of life. They knew the spirits lived on forever. Instead though, they understood it as a quality of life. It was a kind of life. So what, what it means when Jesus offers us eternal life isn't just a never-ending quantity of life, but a never-ending riches, fullness, and freedom of life. It's the kind of life you would get to live in heaven, but not only that, but you get a glimpse of that here on earth as well, and you get to live that out here. Guys, when you choose to follow Jesus, you get to embrace this rich, full, and free life. And it's a life you no longer need to live for yourself. And I know to some of you that doesn't sound like a very good life. But if we want to live for ourselves, God God lets us. But He's telling us right now to trust Him when He says to live for the good of others is to actually live. Guys, do you know why people are selfish and greedy? People are selfish and greedy because they're scared and they're insecure. They always feel like they don't have enough. They feel like if they don't hustle and put their interests first, they won't be okay and their worlds are going to fall apart. How freeing is it to not have to live like that? We are free to sacrificially want what's best for those around us because we know God wants what's best for us. That's what it means when the Bible says that He loves us. Don't be like slaves, like those who are chained by the worries of this world who can only afford to think about their own needs because they have nothing to offer. God loves you, and through the riches of His loves, we can afford to love in ways that do not make sense. We can afford to be generous, giving more than we are able to give. We can afford to be patient, even though we know waiting hurts. We can afford to be kind when people want to tear us down, and we can afford to be angry and forgive. 
We can afford to put our lives on the line to protect and serve those around us. And we can afford to risk being rejected as you reach out to people and as you love them. We can afford to be honest, even when you know that being honest might screw you over. See, love doesn't make sense. And sometimes it's like shooting yourself in the foot. But guys, even so, we are freed to love. The world is telling us to make something out of ourselves. But God is calling us to put others first. This is the way that we will meant to live. And this is the way that we get to live. Let's move on to the next section. In verse 25 to 30, Paul now gives us an example of what it looks like when it comes to eating food with people. It's a really interesting example because at first glance, it sounds really petty because like, why you got to make such a big deal out of food? But it's important because food carries different meaning to different cultures. I'll give you a modern day example. You know, if a guy asks a girl out to grab a drink, it's not because he's thirsty and just wants to get a drink, right? It's because he's most definitely wanting to slide into a DMs to get to know her more. And if that's the case, okay, fine. He's probably thirsty. But you can see how this is just a cultural thing, right? Asking someone to grab a drink has a deeper meaning that might not translate to somewhere else in the world or to like another time. In verse 25 to 30, Paul gives us two examples of how the Christians in Corinth should be thinking about food. In the first example, Paul is telling the church they can eat whatever they want. He does this by referring to Psalms 24, which is a passage people would sometimes use to say grace before eating. Psalm 24 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. What Paul's trying to say is, like, what's the point of praying that pray, prayer if you're going to be like, oh yeah, nah, that food, some of it, nah, I can't eat it because it's not holy. If it's God's, it's holy. Food is really important in that example because for many, it was a symbol of acceptance. To accept someone's hospitality is to show you want to associate with them. And that would have shown so much love. However, you can imagine what the flip side would have been like, you know. On the Christian's end, since they weren't comfortable with the food, saying no wouldn't have been personal, but the unbelievers might have taken it personally. It would have been very likely choosing not to eat the food would cause them to stumble because they'd be dealing with like the rejection and they'd probably be really confused, confused by whether or not these so-called Christians love them or not. But then we go into this second example in verse 28. All of a sudden, Paul's like, oh yeah, nah, if the food is offered to for sacrifices, you're not allowed to eat it. Wait, what? <laughs> One moment you're calling them out for not eating people's food. Now you're telling them to avoid the food. Well, again, we need to understand um, that there is a deeper meaning to the food. Where in the first example, to eat the food was to show love and acceptance. In this second example, to eat the food was to worship idols. In Corinth, there were many religions that had feasts that were part of worshiping idols. Eating the sacrificed food in the, in the temple was literally part of worshiping these idols. It's kind of like when we worship God through eating and drinking Holy Communion. On the Christian's end, it would have been totally fine for them to eat the food if they weren't consciously worshiping the idols. But as you can probably understand, it might have confused some people. They might have been confused because they might have thought um, they didn't take God seriously. 
or they might have thought that um, being a Christian meant you didn't have to exclusively worship Jesus, but you could worship all these other idols and gods as well. This confusion could have caused them to stumble. As you can see, even though Paul was saying they could eat this and they couldn't eat that, at the end of the day, his point that undergirded it all was for them to not just think about themselves, but to think about how their actions would affect others. Paul is calling the church to love and not to stumble. We've talked a lot about what it means to love someone, but something that we need to talk about as well is what does it look like and what does it mean to cause someone to stumble? Chances are you might think to cause someone to stumble is to cause someone to sin. And that's only half right. It's, it's not as simple as that though, because you can't just make someone sin. When someone sins, that's on them. We're all accountable for our own actions. But how about we unpack this a little bit and see what happens practically when we cause someone to stumble. If my love builds someone up, then my stumbling causes someone to lose their way. When we cause someone to stumble, what's really going on is that you are doing something that's going to put doubt in someone's conscience. So think of your conscience as a moral compass. It's something you have in your mind that helps you know what is good, what's true and what is right. And when there is doubt, there is a weak grip on what is good and what is true and what is right. And are you following me so far? So can you see how when you, you, you cause someone to stumble, you don't necessarily in that moment make them sin, but you create the perfect conditions for that person to make a wrong or bad decision. Guys, it's in those moments of stumbling where we are vulnerable. And the Bible says that Satan is the father of lies. So even though he can't make you sin, he takes every single opportunity to whisper into your ear, tricking you to think that his way is good, that his way is true, and that his way is right. When someone is stumbling, they're trying to navigate life with a compass that's just spinning. Just like Paul's example of eating food, there are many decisions, moments, and opportunities in our lives where we are faced with a choice. I know life isn't easy and making choices we won't regret is easier said than done. But you are free to love people. Seek the good of those around you and instead of causing them to stumble, watch as your acts of love cause people to be built up, empowered with confidence and going towards where they were meant to be. As we move into the last few verses of today's passage, I want to ask you this. If you died right here and right now, what's going to be the story of your life? Jessica, she's smart and made it into med. Anthony, influencer, 2.1 million followers, meme lord. Bianca, nice person, bought a dream house and has a beautiful family. Toby, no one really likes him. Or Joanna, she was alright, but can't say much about her because she was always closed off. Does your life reflect the story that you want to tell? There's a reason why I'm asking you this. You see, I've been talking a lot about why we should be loving people. But in this final section of the passage, Paul ends up telling us that it isn't just about loving people. Now, as important as loving people is, and as crazy as it is to see lives changed, and as much as we were freed to live a life where we get to love, Paul shows us that loving people is merely a means to an end. Let's read from verse 31 onwards, and I'll show you what I mean. Verse 31, 
So whether we eat, drink, or whatever we do, do it for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greek, or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way. For I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Come on. All right. Lean in, everyone. Why do we love people? We love people to glorify God so that people might see who God is through our lives and be saved. Let me say that again. We love people to glorify God so that people might see God through our lives and be saved. You know, to glorify God is to literally, like a mirror, reflect who God is. So much so that when people see our lives, they see God. You know, as much as we get to write our own stories and live a life that would actually matter, God is inviting you and I to tell His story. It's the greatest story ever told, and it's the story of the greatest love that has ever been shown. You know, if love is a selfless concern expressed through action for the good of someone else, Jesus is the one who shows us what that looks like. There was never in history been such a display of love to such an extent of it not making sense at all. It did not make sense for God to become man. Like, would you become an ant just so that you could relate to an ant and die for them so that you could save them? And this analogy doesn't even begin to compare the ridiculousness of God's love for us. And even so, you would never do that. It did not make sense for God to be mindful of us. And I want you to think about how mindful you are of God. The reality is, every moment we ignore God in our lives, what we are really saying without words is, God, you don't exist to me. You're dead to me. And I'm going to live my life without you in the picture. Every time we don't trust Him, what we are really saying is, God, even though you were God, I don't believe who you say you are. And I don't believe you're going to do what you say you're going to do. I'm good. And I think I'm going to deal with my issues myself because I know what I need and I know what I want. Friends, why would anyone care so much for people so unlovable and so stubborn in not wanting to be loved? And even though God is our friend, we make him an enemy. Even though God is our deliverer, praise our last resort, if not our first and if not at all. And even though God is our helper, we have rejected him again and again. We have made a mess of this world and our lives. And we deserve the punishment of our sins. But do you know how much God loves us? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, Jesus, that whoever turns to him and puts their trust in him, they won't perish, but they'll be graced and lavished with eternal life. Now Jesus died so that we might live. He took our punishment and gave us his riches that's the most unfair thing ever, but that was love. And he cared about us more than he cared for himself. He gave up everything he could offer in order to give us everything that he could give. Is this love familiar to you? Is this a reality that you've experienced? Not just an idea that you've heard of? You know, everything leaves a mark. And if causing someone to stumble can have such disastrous effects, 
How much more can an act of love change the course of someone's life? If your life has been changed by experiencing such a love that doesn't even make sense, it only makes sense for you to show this kind of love so that others might be also be caught up in God's story. I know God is speaking to many of you today and He's showing you how much He loves you. How will you respond? I want to speak to a few groups of people today. And even though today's message is very simple, I believe God is speaking to individuals in very specific ways. Some of us might be um, trying to figure out what the point of life is. You might be feeling a sense of meaninglessness. You might be lost and you might be confused. Always questioning what you're supposed to do and feeling extremely dissatisfied with every season of your life that goes by. If that's you, remember this. There is a life of adventure and greatness waiting for you where God is inviting you into the fullness of life. It's a life where you will love people just as Jesus loved you. And you're going to see with your very own eyes, lives changed. Give your life to the mission that God has called you to and understand this. If God uses our love to save people, it means people will die if we don't love. Let your calling drive you. Some of us are struggling with the point of life. You might be feeling a sense of hopelessness and despair. You might feel defeated, detached, or you might be done trying. The fact that He has already given everything to you through Jesus is the only proof that you need to know that everything will be okay. So go and love people as Jesus loved you and see Him heal and restore you and do that to those around you as well as you walk with Him on this journey. Know that it's always going to be a journey, but find joy in that process. Some of us are worried about life. You might be gripped by the fear of the unknown, anxious about where life is going to take you. And if that's you, trust in Jesus. Would you dare to see what happens when you let God take control of your life? Don't be afraid to love people like Jesus loved you. You don't have to hold your life together. You don't have to have everything figured out first. Trust that as you love people, God will love you by providing for your every need. You are free to love people, so keep doing that, even when it doesn't make sense, especially when it doesn't make sense. Watch God pave the way in your life and start, as you start seeking the good of those around you. And lastly, some of us are just trying our best. If that's you, remember that every moment of your life matters. From the seen to the unseen, from the memorable moments to the everyday, trust that God's doing a good work in you and He will finish what He started. You're doing better than you think and He will be proud of you when this is all over.